This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen land of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by film reviewer, Sylvie Van Wall. Hey, Sylvie. Hello. And CEO of the biggest independent cinema in the Southern Hemisphere, Cinema Nova, it's Christian Connolly. Welcome to Primal Screen. Hello. I actually just found that out today. I was Googling you and I was like, what? The biggest independent cinema in the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, it's oh, true. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. It's just my local. Uh, on tonight's show, we're going to chat to Christian about an upcoming screening series happening at Cinema Nova titled In the Mood for Wonka Wai. And we're going to ha- review Amazon Prime's mockumentary TV series, Jury Duty, which I know I was meant to review last week, but I packed the show uh, far too full, so uh, it didn't happen. So uh, just the other week, Cinema Nova had their very first screening as part of a new retrospective on the work of legendary director Wong Kai-wai. Wong Kai-wai <laughs> opening uh, with the director's 1994 breakup film, Chunking Express. Um, the retrospective offers audiences to see the opportunity to see the auteur's most celebrated feature films on the big screen. Uh, Christian, how did that first screening go? Well, um, I was delighted to find that it, that it sold out. I yeah. mean, what a great start to uh, a, you know a, an opportunity to revisit this filmmaker's one of his most underappreciated films. I think when it comes to Australian audiences, I mean. I mean, I get very. As anyone who's ever heard me talk on the radio before, uh, be interviewed before, I get very wonky when it comes to these sorts of things. So I always kind of go down this rabbit hole of box office and everything like that. And I think by the end of this first week, we'll have doubled the the national take on that film in only a week. Uh, it's really, really kind of sad, but at the same time, it's exciting that people are kind of coming out and embracing uh, this remarkable film. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it is one that often gets um, overshadowed, um, overlooked, sorry, in comparison to, say, In the Mood for Love, which, mm. you know, is I'm sure that'll sell out as well. Yes. Um, that's actually my personal favourite. Mm. But I, I think you, you've put together a fantastic program. Um, you know, so often uh, Wong Kai Wai is listed as an influence for filmmakers and his films regularly make, like, the top ten films of all time mm. lists. Um, did you feel kind of overwhelmed with which of his ten feature films to, 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 to oh, pick? Look, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm very mindful of the fact that there's certain filmmakers who I consider to be evergreen who perhaps don't get sort of bought out and aired out as often as you'd like. I mean, uh, during the pandemic when Melbourne was shut down, I was really kind of disappointed to see some of the um, repertory cinema that was being screened around the country. It was really sort of lacked any, any imagination. There was It was just how many times can we watch Dirty Dancing or, <laughs> you know, Footloose or whatever. And I sort of thought, well, if I ever wind up in that situation, I really want to make sure that I push the envelope. And so I suppose um, for the last year or so, uh, sort of coming out of that, that uh, the, you know, the extended lockdowns, I've really tried to explore different spaces. And so um, 
uh, thanks to the assistance of the the general manager of um, sorry the programmer of um, the ASTA, Zach Hepburn, he put me in touch with um, Janus, which is a, a a company that holds the rights to a lot of uh, perhaps more obscure European and and Asian cinema. And you kind of get sent these big long lists of all these titles, and you've read you sorry you've heard of about maybe I don't know ten percent, and then wow. the others are like. <laughs> I know that title, but I don't know what it what it is. And so you kind of go down this, you know, trying to looking at all these films on IMDb, and you suddenly learn that there are these pristine DCP, you know, digitally um, um, restored versions of films from the 1920s, which uh, about witchcraft and stuff like that. And it's like, mm. oh gosh, you know, how far do I go before I start losing money? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I think you'll make money on that one. Yes, <laughs> it's okay. so, I, I, um, I find it fascinating as well. A huge part of cu- the responsibility of the curator is also about education, mm. isn't it? And yep. there's, that's a huge task to go through all those lists and to pick out what, you know, you see as really important cinema. Yeah. I just love the fact that so often on this show I'm reminded of the fact, even though I did go to film school, that it's so possible to create... Uh, a literacy around film and an appreciation around film yep. without having gone to film school. You can just be a really um, attentive cinema goer and I think there's so many listeners out there and this is exactly their bag where they know so much about cinema. Mm. They go along to these sorts of retrospectives. They educate themselves on you know, this person's filmography. Um, it's a tremendous responsibility, though, as the programmer to be able to set the pace and the conversation around film. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I said before, on, on perhaps not on the show, but Melbourne is a cinema city. It's a world-class cinema city that, that perhaps is up there with uh, New York and, and Paris and London. Um, I certainly think that the, the culture here is better than certainly any other city in, in the country and certainly most other cities around the world. And that is because we've got places like Cinema Nova, which have been around for 30 years now going and sort of pushing the envelope in terms of what is put on screen plus of course uh, Palace Cinemas did a, a great service to the industry um, in it, its early days with really I suppose taking uh, art house films or foreign films to the masses plus of course we've had places like the Asta uh, running for you know a century mm. um, and just this all comes together along with things like Acme and places that are now closed uh, and even the fact that we've got uh, um, you know for a couple more weeks we've got the Lunar Drive-In out there in Dandenong all these things kind of bring together uh, come together and kind of elevate cinema and the importance of watching something out of home and going and having that experience with a crowd and I mean, you know, in addition to doing what I do with my day job, which is watching a lot of movies um, at nine thirty in the morning, you know, <laughs> all over all over the city, um, I, I, you know, I tend to spend my weekends doing the same sort of thing, and, and uh, you know, we we sort of we really try and get out there and see some stuff that we've seen before just because you really get reminded of the power of the Mm -hmm. cinema when you do go, uh, you know, to some of these wonderful venues that we have around the city. I mean, uh, you know, I I grew up with, um, with, you know, the Star Wars movies. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my late forties and, and I really lived for things like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. And so when there was a recent screening of Empire at, um, at the Astor, I mean, I couldn't not go, and it was transformative because you that was a movie that was kind of derided uh, compared to, say, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. But then you know we know what's come since then, and yeah. perhaps with one or two exceptions, they're not very good. And uh, you go back yeah. and you watch something like that, and it's like, wow, that is yeah. awe-inspiring. And what was what was kind of naff suddenly 
you know, compared to what we tend to see in the multiplexes nowadays, is actually pretty dark and impressive. So Totally. And, and also there's the fandom around yes. these franchises. Mm. And I actually don't think that that is um, just limited to, to those big kind of, you know, Star Wars or yep. even um, all of those big kind of fantasy sequels and prequels and all those things. Mm. I don't think it's limited to that. I think that it also does extend to the work of auteurs like mm-hmm. Wong Kar Wai yep. where you have people who have – not had an opportunity to see it in, on the big screen. There's so many classics like that. And yep. it's so different when you're watching a film surrounded by strangers in a dark room yes. and that cinematic experience. And I remember having you on the show at some point during lockdown. It's such a blur. Mm. Um, we had Zach on as well. Yep. And we're talking a lot about what, where we kind of think cinema, what is the future of cinema? Yep. We weren't sure then how badly you'd be financially affected mm. by the pandemic. Um, of course, there has been an impact, but it's really interesting looking at the programming that you've had at Nova. Of course, there's been the new releases, but you have got these retrospectives. You've also got these Q&As. It's really interesting to see that there is so much hunger there still for these, um, not just event cinema, but going to the cinema itself. Absolutely. I've, I've always believed that it's it's great to kind of, you know, go along to a movie and then learn so much more about it from either people that are involved in the film, either the filmmakers, etc. That's what I suppose got me really interested in that. As a kid, I would, you know, go along to watch Q&As or I would do courses with, the, say, Open Channel and all that sort of thing. And, and when you get kind of down to the, the understanding, the root of where it all comes from, whether it's creatively as a writer or a director or, you know, how how, how the craft actually comes together – the, you can watch a movie with fresh eyes, mm. and so I, I, that's what I, I try to do. I, I mean, I, I really, I love to part of, so much of what I enjoy about my job is being able to gift people these experiences, uh, and because we are a successful um, cinema art house cinema, as you mentioned in the intro, and we, we we can be very very successful with you know sort of you know idiosyncratic quintessential art house. Um, that you know that goes on to be nominated for Academy Awards and stuff like that. We can take risks with things like this because mm. there is a financial risk with these things. You know, mm. these these movies do come with very high minimum guarantees, and so if you choose something that's that's a little bit sort of on the on sort of bit out there, you can actually lose money. And so you know, when something like this, like Chunking Express, uh, which has been such a smash hit over these last couple of days comes along and, you know, looking ahead to, say, Fallen Angels and Happy Together and In the Mood for Love. I mean, the interest in these movies, it just gives you a renewed sense that people truly love going out Mm. there and seeing something a little bit different because even though we have, particularly at Nova, we've got this incredible kind of history of, of having success with Asian cinema. I mean, Parasite was is our number one film of all time. I love that film. You know, I saw that at Nova twice within a... 24-hour period, maybe 12-hour mm, wow. period. Yeah, I know. I'm a bit <laughs> yeah. of an obsessive. but I get it, though. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah. a great film. Yeah, yeah it's but amazing. I never would have thought it was going to be as big as it was when we watched mm. it that very first time. Mm. And then just coming off the back of uh, Everything Everywhere, which, of course, yeah. even though it's it's not an, an, uh, an Asian film, it's an American film, um, but with, I suppose, Asian faces in it, uh, um, it really it sort of it shows that I think that I like to kind of find these links and I think maybe mm. if Parasite wasn't, the kind of world-consuming hit that it was that we wouldn't necessarily have had the success of uh, everything everywhere all at once. I think these things all kind of interlink and they, you know, for lack of a better term, drive a narrative of what people engage with. And then, and similarly, people kind of maybe say, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind finally getting around to seeing, 
you know, in the mood for love, which I've heard about, but I've never actually seen it. And it is a movie you do want to see in the big yes. in the cinema because it is a mood piece. It's it's very, it's it takes its time. It's very leisurely in its pace, mm. and um, and I think that when you're in that room, you're in that dark space. You, you're not going to take your phone out, mm. and you you engage with it in a way that you definitely wouldn't if you watched mm. at home. So let's let's talk about the man himself, Wong Kai Wai. So. Mm. Many listeners, I think, will be familiar with the name, but may not, apart from In the Mood for Love, Trunking Express, may not be across his whole filmography. Mm. Um, how would you, for listeners who aren't aware of his work, how would you kind of typify him? Well, I think um, one of the key things is the cinematography in his film. Uh, Christopher Doyle, Australian-born uh, cinematographer, has worked with uh, Wong Kai Wai across most of his films, if not all of his films. Um, all of his films have a very distinct visual style. Uh, they're not necessarily all... It's not like you could sort of say, "Oh, that looks like that," mm. but there is a there is a luxury in the imagery. I think that is is really remarkable. Um, mm. That Doyle, who's quite a character um, yeah. from accounts, um, <laughs> I've heard a few stories actually. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's defamation if you heard it in an interview, but um, yeah, yeah, some crazy stories of uh, maybe a bit of a. Party animal. Yeah, I think sometimes. so. That's probably a good way to put it. But uh, and that's remarkable given the fact that he's based in Asia. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, he's, there's a reason, I suppose, why he hasn't necessarily gone on to you know do cinematography for say Spielberg or yeah, for the likes. It's so interesting, isn't it? And I, I feel like so often I'll watch a film and you kind of think, oh, this is so perfect. Everything about this is so perfect. Mm. They must be a director who cares a lot about precision and everything going exactly as they'd planned and that sort of thing and then listening to interviews with Wong Kar Wai and hearing about his relationship and working relationship with Chris and just mm. hearing like okay it sounds like a lot of chaos but a lot of passion and like Absolutely. so often yeah, yeah. yes they've gone out drinking the night before but then just managing to get exactly the shot that they wanted and just owning it and and then also just really lots of happy accidents mm. in the yeah. filmmaking process I feel like there's there's a beautiful sense of um openness I think with his filmmaking style mm. that allows for him to go into all these different genres yeah. um he's such a fascinating artist I think that uh, uh, we get this idea of connecting him up often with nostalgia mm -hmm. and this sort of thing of oh he's the you know the artist of nostalgia but he actually does so many different things and I think when he hears anyone talk about his work he's often just like oh well if you think I'm that then I better change I'm, yeah. I'm also this yeah, he's a very authentic filmmaker mm. um, I mean a lot of the movies particularly we're showing here um, the first three Junking and um, Fallen Angels and, and um, Happy Together I think all come across as very lived in films mm. uh, but as you say there's a lot of happy accidents I think where the cameras just kept rolling and the actors have been able to just engage with one another in in, um, in, sponta in spontaneous ways mm. or I think also um, where they've found themselves in a particular environment and it's 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 just turned out a particular way in terms of lighting and you know using reflective surfaces I mean there's there's a lot of image a lot of images that you that immediately come to mind when you think about each of um, Wong Kar Wai's films mm. and uh, and I suppose if you're going to kind of put an overarching theme at it all I think there's kind of there's a dreaminess to it as mm. well none more so than perhaps 2046 which sadly we weren't able to include in the um, in the retrospective but certainly one that's on my future radar if mm. I can get to the bottom of who now owns the rights to it because it was <laughs> I remember seeing it like uh, when I was programming for the Rivoli uh, oh gosh it would have been about I suppose 2004 and 
and that movie kind of defies explanation, but it is visually so rich mm. and so beautiful, and everybody in it looks so beautiful as well. Mm. It's, I mean, it's it kind of moves between the past and the future. It's kind of a proto Snowpiercer in a way oh, as wow. well. I mean, it's it's a very I don't know. There's some there's a lot going on in there, and and as I say, it doesn't quite. It's not as quite as cohesive in the way that. Some of his other films are, but uh, you know that you've seen something really remarkable when you've seen 2046. Well, I hope you can get your hands on that at mm. some point. Um, the, with the with the films that you're going to be screening, you're using 35 millimeter. No, unfortunately not. It's, oh. uh, it's all uh, it's all DCP, but it's all oh, been it fully DCP. restored. Right. Sorry, I was getting confused. Yeah. Okay. So that's by Criterion Collection. Has put uh, that through, yeah, well, Janos. I think there is a, there's a connection between Janos and um, Criterion. Oh, so right. what? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Criterion stuff. Yeah. I mean, I really went down a rabbit hole there <laughs> in the pandemic where I was buying all sorts of weird things to do. They've got that fantastic series of, oh. um, what is it called? I can't think of it, where they give them different artists can go in there and oh, just yes. select the oh, 10 for the Criterion closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Wouldn't oh. you kill the guy? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, never and they don't ship to Australia, so you've got oh. to go through Amazon or one of those. Ask, how, how do you do it? Because yeah. um, I've definitely looked on the website many times and just gone, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've tended to use um, I tend to use Amazon to get them, um, yeah. but I'm going to be overseas in a couple of weeks and in the United States, and I'm kind of like, hmm, I wonder if I could get them sent to my hotel. <laughs> yeah, maybe set up Should like a try. PO box or something. They'll certainly be visiting a Barnes and Noble, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. And we should mention, like I said before, about the influence that um, Wong Kai Wai has had on other filmmakers. Mm. He himself was a massive film fan. Apparently his mum used to take him to the movies like every night and he mm. just has this amazing love and um, I suppose an education throughout his childhood in cinema. Um, for one of the screenings, um, Happy Together, you're going to have Goran Stolevsky there doing a, an intro to the film and talking a bit about how this film really impacted and in inspired of an age. Yeah, I mean Goran's a wonderful um, filmmaker. Um, we've been lucky to show two of his films um, at Nova, uh, including um, his debut. And when I met with him, uh, oh gosh, I think it was just after Miff uh, when he premiered um, Of An Age mm. at the festival, I was kind of said, oh, look, I'd love to you know, have a chat to you. And he was delighted to come out and meet with me because ultimately turned out that he used to go to Cinema Nova all the time. And I believe was that. <laughs> a massive fan. And, um, and so I kind of was thinking about it. And so, you know, how can we kind of, we've, we've, we've had tremendous success with Of An Age, which I adored, one of yeah. my favourite films that Absolutely I saw stunning. last year. And what a perfect opening night as well. I've, I know, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, so it was good. such mm. a good, it was a great opening night choice. Um, so I thought, yeah, we've got to find out what's the influence there. Because, again, mm. I just love discovering these influences that between filmmakers and storytellers, I think that's really, really uh, terrific. In fact, I, I want to come back to that in a second if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, yeah, I think that there's uh, – learning, learning where people come from can just be a kind of a way to look back on – the filmmakers work mm. in a fresh way, mm. and if we can if we can do that with say of an age, which I say is is quite a beautiful uh, coming of age film, then let's do that. So, because Happy Together shows up throughout that film quite a lot in terms of music cues and and um, discussions between the two uh, leads, I thought, well, we've got to we've got to try and scratch the surface there. Mm. And so, thankfully, due to um, due to uh, Goran coming to the theatre for his previous two films, we reached out to him and said, "Would you be interested in coming and doing a conversation?" So he's coming to the theatre on the seventh of June, where he'll he'll be in discussion prior to a screening of Happy Together, mm. where he'll be kind of talking about how that film 
you know, how that film was special for him when he saw it and ultimately what it means for of an age. Mm. And I, I love that there's these conversations that are happening both within um, filmmakers and, and how they're watching other, each other's films and then the audience being able to hear about those. And just like you said, having a different lens when you're watching these films the fact that they're just brought back into cinema does make them worthy of of revisiting as well. Mm. Um, I I suppose we should let people know that the it's happening now. Actually, in the mood for Wong Kai Wai is on until the fifteenth of June at Nova. Uh, the next screening, as you say, is Fallen Angels this yeah. Thursday. Yep, that's correct. Um, and, and sorry, then, I'm sorry, to cut you off. And then yeah, we bring in Happy Together on the eighth. Yep. And then in the mood for love from the fifteenth, but I mean these films, as I say, are being very successful. So we we are encoring them, um, you know, for the following week. So people don't need to worry about missing out. They can just come and check it out on the website because we just keep you on playing them, so people can kind of catch up with them when when they can because people are busy. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that though. I was a bit worried I'm going to miss some of them, but that's good to know. Uh, and if you would like to check out any of this limited screening series, you can head to cinemanova.com.au for the program and to buy your ticket. Uh, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Christian Connolly, Sylvie Van Wall and myself, Flick Ford. So Jury Duty is a new TV series on Amazon Prime which chronicles the inner workings of an American jury trial through the eyes of juror Ronald Gladden, who doesn't realise that everyone except him is an actor. And one of the uh, the best known of those actors, uh, James Marsden, plays himself, well, kind of a worst version of himself I suppose um, it's really interesting looking into this show because I always like to get a bit of a pulse check of, of how people have been responding to it at least on my personal socials I feel like everyone uh, actually I don't think everyone's across it because a few people were like what are you reviewing mm. but most people it was very positive I then kind of did a bit of a deeper dive and I know that the Guardian's review, um, Charles Bramesco um, raised some, like, some issues with the show and also the age didn't give it the most, um, you know, the bestest review. Um, Sylvie, what did you make of Jury Duty? Well, I loved it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, well, just straight up I'll say that, uh, yes, I know that some of the ethics are a little bit iffy. And I and I do get why um, because, you know, this guy's going into this show thinking that he's signed up to do a documentary. So, like, it's a real jury in his mind, a real trial Um but he's consenting to being filmed. So he, there's, there's that. And I suppose also we, uh, the viewer, <laughs> you don't know that until later on because it's hard to work out how did this actually there's, – there's like the show itself that you're watching yeah. and then there's the how did this ma- get made yeah. side of the show. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But you're right. There is the, Ronald has been um, – has put his name forward to – to kind of be part of this at least. Yeah, so that yeah. covers them legally, you know. <laughs> um, and also I just – I think it could only work because of the sort of guy that he is. Yes. Like this guy Ronald is just such a nice everyman sort of dude, uh, <laughs> unassuming. Uh, it treats everyone equally. Uh, and even when he's surrounded by all these heightened characters who, <laughs> like for me, I think it's just so obvious that they're actors. <laughs> but it could be because, uh, yeah, I, I watch film and TV for a living and I also do improv comedy. So I feel like there's so many things about it that would just like, you know, tingle my spidey senses. <laughs> totally. It's kind of funny, isn't it, watching it as a viewer. And I suppose like we already know, so w- whether we would know, 
if we if, oh, sorry that's I'm saying no to me but you know what I mean like yeah we're, we're told the premise at the yeah, start yeah we know straight up what's so yeah. it's hard to know we haven't got a time before that of not knowing yeah maybe I, I could have been full I don't know I really don't know <laughs> but I, I do I do take your point Sylvie there are moments in this series where I was like surely now he will break yeah um and and that is a kind of uh something that is shared in and I mentioned Charles Bromesco's review but he also brings that up he says uh this is a direct quote it's hard to believe that Ronald never had an inkling of something off the cameras permitted to tape the um, permitted to tape the inner workings of a private deliberation. His so-called peers have each been sketched around a single legible shtick in the same manner as supporting characters on TV, and it mm. does feel like that, doesn't it? It totally. feels like I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen next episode? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the wonderful part of this show is just testing how far can we take this yeah um fantastic premise and i really really love james marsden in this role i just think it's got to be one of his best roles um and we get reminded of his um all of his other roles throughout this show um it must be such a delight for him to play this this over-the-top version of yourself. I was listening to an interview with him where the interviewer kind of cautiously asked whether he had any reservations and he's like, all I had were reservations. Um, Christian, what did you make of this? Oh, look, I, I adored it. I, I mean, I mean, I always loved The Office and all those sort of those yes, things, which this yeah. takes a lot of kind of hints from in terms of the director camera. Sort it's of... the same producers. Yeah, they exactly. Same and, producers, yeah. and also before that, all of those um, like hidden camera shows. Do you remember those yeah, in like Candy Mac- Camera, Candy camera yeah, yeah. from like the early 90s? Yeah. Um, they were massive and it's, then they kind of long went out of favour. It's camera. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose I'm or trying punked. to... Th- Do you remember Punked? Yeah, yeah, punked. yeah. And was one um, with Jamie Kennedy as well or was that Punked? Uh, I can't remember. No, there was Dax Shepard was in Punk. Oh, you think you? And then I think there was a Jamie Kennedy show as well. Wasn't there Aston, Aston Kutcher? Aston Kutcher was. Oh, yeah. okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> who he was, was like, it? He was in the room, in the back room, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I thought it was hilarious, and and I agree with you. It's kind of like there's a lot of these characters mm. almost come out of like you know weirdo central casting, but at the same time, though, I think when you do go and shoot a show like this in Los Angeles, where you you're surrounded by actors, mm. yeah, the likelihood that you are going to get peculiar personalities, etc. But then you've got – I like think the authenticity is also helped by the character of the judge, which, of course, mm. turns out is actually, mm-hmm. I think, the father of Ike Barinholtz. Really? Who's, a, who's a comedian, actor, right. who's been in a bunch of um, Judd Apatow comedies. Ah, mm. um, oh, Alan Barinholtz. And he, and he was, yeah. I think, a lawyer as well. Yeah, so yes. he's like almost method. He's very authentic. He's <laughs> yeah. really, And I think he actually grounds the show because he doesn't really totally. put up with – rubbish yeah. and all the other silly stuff that goes on yeah. is kind of he tells it off he calls it out but you yeah. made a great point about um expecting these sort of i guess archetypes to appear in la because yeah watching it i had this thought constantly that you know this this show could only really be made in america <laughs> where like every process is um turned into a like a pageant yep. yeah. so the court system yeah i guess you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> uh to have this like crazy trial where people are um you know very over the top and yeah i i don't know i don't know if it would work here that's but, an interesting yeah. question there is something about the american identity or at mm-hmm. least our understanding of it as it's presented on screen 
that is very specific to America, and yeah, I don't know. Almost that it everything's would. televised. Or yeah, a show or, um, of some kind. I used to know when I before my before I worked in the in the industry, I was in <laughs> hospitality, and I used to run a restaurant in South Bank, and we had a chef who was American. This is back in the late nineties, and he was telling me about how when you're in high school in America, you're kind of taught so much about getting up and talking about mm. yourself and really projecting everything about yourself to the world because yeah. everyone's interested to hear about it and. <laughs> We, as, as a, I think as a nation, culturally, are almost the opposite. Yeah, We're well, there's the whole resi- tall poppy thing as Absolutely. well. That if you do speak out, you're kind of like, no Come one on. cares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that when you've got all these outre kind of out there people, mm. but, but just what people expect. I mean, you, totally. you can't go to America without being without people telling the the entire story of their lives. To That's you. so true. I was actually secretly delighted when I went to New York for the first time and. Everyone was kind of how I thought they might be. <laughs> it, was, it was like walking through a movie. <laughs> um, but the, it does it does seem to work. I, I found like this goes over, what is it, eight episodes? So have I got that right? Mm. Uh, yes, around eight, that. Yeah. yeah, and I felt like at the start I was so gripped and I do yes. feel like there's a bit of a lag probably uh, toward the second Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. yeah, which yeah. is a shame because I think that the first four se- film, oh. four episodes are just screamingly funny. <laughs> yeah, so good, funny. so cringy, and I, I yes. found that rather than laughing out loud, I was more like just hooked by the suspense of it all. Like, yes. is he going to find out? Is he going to know? Like, how far it, are they going to take it? <laughs> and I think just watching it play out on his face, like they do such yes. an excellent job of, you know, it is hidden cameras job. They do such a great job of editing it, like all of the the different stories that are going on. I was actually kind of fascinated by the actors, the fact that the actors, regardless of whether or not they're interacting with Ronald, they still have conversations. Mm. And that question of how ethical this is and how genuine it is, um, not to ruin it for anyone, I mean, like, you, you know the premise already, but like... That question of friendship, because they're together, mm-hmm. they're stuck in this space for a week mm-hmm. or so. Um, what kind of in relationships form? And um, I just thought it was such it's such a an old premise, and, but it just seems like maybe it just works well at the moment. And it, I don't yeah. know. We're chatting off air. Could they ever do a sequel? I mean, I, I think oh, not. We're I don't too, think so. No, yeah. I don't think it could be recreated. Um, yeah, even in another country. Um, I, I heard rumors, and I can't remember if this was actually from the showrunners, but they said maybe in a completely different industry, like not a jury duty, yeah. like yeah. have it in a. Yeah, but that I think sense. that it's hard. They'd have to wait a few years, maybe. Do you think that by sure, having sure. um, James Marsden in the role and James Marsden <laughs> playing himself, and that the fact that he kind of gets to rub shoulders with a guy who's in the movies and has been in a lot of movies, and then obviously he becomes kind of connected to yeah, James. So yeah. The two of them form a very tight relationship in yeah, the show. Yeah, which I think is genuine. I, I think agree. He really yeah. likes him. Like James this kind of Robert, basking yeah. in the in the glow of being around a celebrity, and I suppose it kind of elevates it to a dream level where you yeah. kind of so can't true. quite believe that you're it's, spending time with this. <laughs> Movie star, and he's yeah. my friend. It's yeah. a you don't want move. it to end. Yeah. You don't want it. You don't want to burst the bubble. So it's yeah. almost like the producers thought we need to have like Some a star sort of in there, yeah. and that person becomes really good friends with Ronald. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. That way, Ronald won't question it. Yeah, I'd be exactly, a bit devastated though if James yeah. Marsden. If I thought I'd become best friends with him, and then I was like, "Oh, he's getting paid to be friends with me." <laughs> no, I think I think it's still genuine. And like, yeah, exactly what you said. It's because James Marsden is so much of like a, a celebrity that, you know, he would if he ever had the thought like, mm, "Are these all actors?" He'd 
dismiss it because mm. you'd be like, what's the odds? You know, yeah. like we've got James Marsden, a big actor here, and everyone's actors? No, just the one, you know. <laughs> I um I find like we we've focused so much on Ronald as like yeah. how it how's it how it is experienced by him. But we've got the flip side of that as the actors themselves. Like imagine learning a script that is just basically like a list of prompts. And, and I think that there were marks of what they're trying to hit yeah. and they're not sure is this, com- you know, is this joke going to work, is it not? Are we going to try go with this angle? And apparently like it was almost set up as like a um, choose your own adventure where they had to yeah. regroup to see how – how to um, Ronald act and then respond back to it. And it's such like, if you just think about the craft of acting, yeah. how, what a wonderful experience. I, I, I imagine very challenging though as well, where you you have an idea of who your character is, but whatever they do is so determined by this unknown quantity, mm. which is Ronald. Yep. And, and this is how they do um, Thank God You're Here, but obviously oh, in really? a much like quicker setting. Which yeah. Is, yeah. So the, the actors. They're bringing yeah. it back, aren't they? I, think I hope so. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the actors that are, are in on it, um, yeah, learn, like, the dot points and mm. uh, the choose-your-own-adventure sort of structure. And then the celebrity that is, like, the guest that doesn't know what's going on comes in and, depending on what they say and do, guides which direction they choose to go in. Mm. Um but this is like, yeah, like the long three-week version. version of that <laughs> where they have to constantly, uh, like, regroup you know, break for lunch. And, uh, There's a lot of like break for yeah. lunch, which is actually just a rehearsal <laughs> off in a secret room. And yeah, and, um, yeah. I I would find it really hard as an actor. Yeah, um, totally. So kudos to them and because was, they're they're fully in it. <laughs> totally, they do commit. I can to- I can understand why James Marsden may have had reservations. So because imagine that whole thing of like never meet your hero. I'm not mm. saying that you know James Marsden is is Ronald's hero, but like he's someone famous and you've yeah. seen him on TV on the cinema screen before. Um, but yeah, like the idea of someone just thinking you're an absolute douchebag. Mm. Like some of the lines he says are so shocking and yeah. so perfect. <laughs> and there is so much comedy gold in this show. I I've been recommending it to everyone I've spoken to I do kind of you know Sylvia you mentioned ethics before Mm. it's a real gray area and it's also like the cynical part of me does sort of think at what point does he know like is he playing along thinking there's something up but I don't know I think that it's nice to watch this and just sink into it and not think too much about that maybe yeah totally (laughs) um and I think, yeah, there are a few times where he says, like, really early on, it's like I'm on reality TV, mm. <laughs> you know, which is kind of the thing. You realise you just say that sometimes to your friends when <laughs> things are weird. And it's like, oh, you don't know how right you are. <laughs> Did it also – this was uh, something I just noticed in myself after watching it is I couldn't help – I did binge watch this show and it's mm. a very bingeable show mm. – uh, I did find myself thinking, feeling almost a bit funny afterwards when I was just going about my normal life, but just the thought of like, am I being watched? Yep. Um, <laughs> I don't think there was anyone, but you know, just it kind of really just put a different perspective. It's like the whole Truman Show, mm. um, you know, twist. Absolutely. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the bizarre thing to think back that that was kind of the beginning point mm. and it became true. In this, ultimately, it became true now. Yeah, and then so we've had true. every iteration, every meta iteration of it since then. You know, whether I mean, totally. I'm just remembering things like The Simple Life with Paris yeah. Hilton yeah, and yeah. Nicole Richie. 
And then obviously, you know, all the other stuff like, you know, MasterChef and Survivor and Project Runway, all that stuff. But I don't know, did you see recently the Nathan Fielder show, The Rehearsal? Yes, which, yes. which again was like the Charlie Kaufman version of, of the Truman Show, which I, I saw yeah. before this, but is is, a, is also a cringy masterpiece. Well, mm. I, I heard um, Jury Duty described as the non-bleak version of that. And I think that's so accurate because it's quite a, it's, this is quite a sweet show in it a is. lot yeah. of ways. And There's lots of yeah. crazy moments, but I don't think he's ever made fun of. Well, no. exactly. Exactly, and that's the thing. I think I ha- I haven't seen the rehearsal. I've seen Nathan Fielder bits though, mm-hmm. so I know what he's about. And I think it's very similar to like the Sasha Baron Cohen yeah. stuff with Borat, where yeah. um, he's the one that's in on it, and it's everyone else that he goes out uh, to interact with that mm-hmm. doesn't know yeah. what's real and what's not, and and it makes fun of certain like institutions and certain people and class and race and whatever. Mm. Um, but this show is kind of the flip side of that. But I, I also don't think they're control. making fun of Ronald. No, they're not. It's more poking fun at how like um, ridiculous the yeah the cult system is, and maybe like yeah the um, systems in general and the pageantry of them all, and That's how so like true. look at this guy he's he's a pretty average dude and he doesn't realize that this is fake because things can get this crazy in reality. <laughs> so yeah. true. Um, uh, well, if you'd like to check out Jury Duty, it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, before we wrap up tonight, I thought we could finish with some recommendations. Uh, Christian, what have you got for us? Well, uh, off the back of uh, Jury Duty reality <laughs> series, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll offer up a movie that's got nothing to do with um, with reality TV called Reality. Oh, this is uh, this is a really interesting movie. Kind of, I suppose, vibing on a similar sort of thing because it's it's informed by real life. So, uh, named after a woman by the name of Reality Winner who was named by her father, Reality Winner, no kidding, <laughs> only in America. Yeah. And uh, it, the film itself is based entirely on the transcript of her being this woman being interviewed by the FBI when she was accused of being a whistleblower. Wow. And it is one of the most riveting things that I've seen in months um, to the point where I was watching it and I need to go to the bathroom midway through the film and I called my t- projection guy and said, can you please pause the film? <laughs> Such abusive power. It is a little bit, but uh, but I was the only one in there. But um, but yeah, just a really, really clever thing. And and again, just sort of, I love these sort of blurring the lines between fiction and um and reality. uh, Mm. No pun intended. It's it's great. And yeah, so it comes out at the end of um June. Uh, but certainly keep an eye out for reality because it's really edgier seat stuff that's. Approached approached in a really clever way. It was, uh, Sylvia Sweeney uh, is the place the lead. Sydney in Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney. Sorry, say, yeah, Sydney yeah, from Sweeney. White Lotus. Um, yeah. So I was yeah. confused. And yes, correct. Euphoria. Yep. Yes. And um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, but everybody else in in the film is is an unknown. So you, you kind of it, again that blurring of kind of reality and and, um, and fiction is really mm. really cool. Mm. How about you, Sylvie? Um, well. Uh, yeah, we talked about this off air. Uh, Barry is the number one show that mm. I'm watching right now, uh, but I'm three episodes behind because I've been so busy. <laughs> I think it just like finished, like finished, finished forever, <laughs> which is going to be sad. So, but I'm going to savor those last three episodes. Cause... It's so ha- hard, isn't it, when you kind of like I'm. I think that whole thing of when to end a season. Mm. I, I both like love when shows end correctly, yeah. <laughs> or yep. when they when they're still good. Um, but it's so it's also heartbreaking. Yeah, but I think um, Bill Hader's really proven his chops as a director because he directed every episode. In I didn't know that. The last season, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I know he's a cinephile and that's yeah. been his whole thing ever since, like, 
pre-SNL, you know, being a comedian, um, he's always wanted to do this. And I feel like now that he's wrapped up Barry, hopefully we'll see like a movie announcement mm. on the horizon, maybe a horror or something. Mm. Like I feel like he's getting really into dark horror stuff <laughs> in the last couple <laughs> episodes of Barry. Um, so, yeah. I'd kill for a Stefan movie. Remember oh my God, Stephane, Stephane, yeah. Stephane. I love <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and we were also chatting a bit off air about – you know, lots of finales, lots of shows finishing up. Of course, succession finale, which would have oh, – I always get confused with the timing because of the US, but um, Sunday night, so, so – finished here. Fini- oh, yeah, I think he had this morning here. This first morning, day, yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't watched it yet, so we're not allowed to talk about spoilers. No, so we wouldn't do that anyway. Watched, but um, very – it's had a huge amount of buzz. Um, Kristen, you're making a point, a really interesting point about prestige television, the possible death of prestige television mm. or at least the decline – um, tell us about that that yeah. idea. Well, we were just sort of talking about the idea with Barry finishing mm. and Succession finishing, and then there was another show which just finished up last Friday, um, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, if you saw that on Amazon Prime. And there's been a couple of other shows that have finished just in the last couple of months. And I, th- I was having you know a dinner party conversation on Saturday night with friends saying, what's next? There mm. is nothing right now that's in the zeitgeist to the same level as Succession and Barry are. I mean, mm. I think Succession's definitely on a whole other level. It's on that Game of Thrones mm. kind of level. But yeah, there's just nothing at the moment that's on that same level. And I don't see it either. There's nothing kind of coming. And we mm. were talking a little bit about The Idol, which is the new show starring The Weeknd, uh, which is an A24 produced uh, TV series, which will be on HBO Max in the US and I think is on Binge here that's kind of coming with a lot of baggage. So mm. there's a big question mark over that. Sylvia, you mentioned Citadel, Citadel. which yeah. $200 million uh, sci-fi series. Yeah, and which they're really tilting at trying to be the next big thing. Yeah, but they're it's, trying to buy it's, themselves um, subscribers with that. I think that's getting pushed so hard. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and also Lord of the Rings never really took off in the way that they, that they I, hoped for. I liked for. it, but yeah, definitely mm. wasn't the thing they thought it was going to be. <laughs> I had high hopes. We actually reviewed it and I'd only watched the first, at that stage there was only like two apps up and mm. I was like, oh, I've got high hopes for this and uh, <laughs> never watched another episode after that. I really oh, just right. went off it. Yeah, yeah I, wow. I think though that that whole thing of wanting things to really click mm. – um, and I suppose, you know, we can't go talk about these shows without mentioning the writer's strike. I oh, mean, yeah. that is going to have a huge impact creatively. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And no, also no just No one's financing. there to write the next big thing. So yeah, there's going to be totally. a, a desert of content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just nothing. It's really going to shift the landscape. And it's mm. also just that question of whenever we're in times of financial precarity and, like, we've got cost of living is going through the roof. So mm. we, we're at, I think there was some statistic about how rent is as much as it's ever cost of unaffordability unaffordability so it's just kind of like we're in that space and the impact that has on the art scene is huge so Mm. yeah it's uh, i don't know but but we might see like a return to nostalgia or just really safe genres i I feel like we've been in nostalgia now for the last three years do you think it's a lockdown thing absolutely and i think there's there's a lot of sort of things all kind of coming to a point here obviously what i'm talking about in these these shows that are finishing i mean Maybe Mandalorian finished with mm. the end of the last episode season as well, and there's nothing else has really sort of clicked in the way that that did. I mean, but that's mm. also like yeah, the bankable the franchise, isn't it as well? Yeah. So yeah, I think maybe it's that you know we're all kind of coming out of lockdowns, we're returning to normal in air quotes, <laughs> and um, and I think that maybe there's going to be a shift. And talking to your point about cost of living expenses, 
I think maybe we'll start saying to ourselves, wow, all right, I'm spending how much per year on streaming services? Because yeah. yes. it's in the hundreds now if you're on, you know, a handful mm. of them. So they've all gone up. You can't share them between you people can't share them. and Good there's point. ads on all the, <laughs> all the shows. So I, know, yeah. I mean, I, Netflix, I mean, I, I, I've always had a bit of an extra grind against Netflix just because they, they've so vehemently tried to put cinemas out of business. But yeah. I, honestly, I, there's nothing on Netflix. The, the only show that I'm watching on Netflix at the moment is BattleBots, and that's something they've bought <laughs> off somebody in order to air. I think I know what that is. is yeah, that just what robots feel? fighting yeah. each other. It's yes. terrible, but I mean, it's it's just easy kind of brainless television. But that's the only thing I'm watching on it. Nothing yeah. else on that service is actually worth watching. And a lot of it now, if you look through what's new, it's a lot of imported stuff that's being bought by um, by them from networks, etc., in India and in Asia, yeah. etc. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm totally using it just to watch anime from Japan. So well, yeah. th- and there's also the, the user's experience of like it's sometimes being so much content on these things or so many things to choose from. Sometimes what you most want as a viewer is to be guided through a screening mm. process. And I think that um, I do feel as though, I mean, I love going to the cinema. I do feel like the cinema is always going to be a space for that, yep. both as a as a community but also as an individual experience and also film festivals. And we mentioned mm. two that are happening currently, Chiff and Diff, which is great to say <laughs> on air. Um, I, I'll share those details in just a second. Um, but, yeah, it it's really does feel like there's a shift. Not to say that there's nothing on streaming services. I think they're really great for access and, and also for, for lots of – there is the potential to be really creative and experimental in those mm. spaces. Um, I do feel like SBS On Demand and ABC iView do an excellent job, particularly, like we were saying before, about going back through and finding um, fantastic retrospectives on auteurs. And yes. they, they do have a great range of films there. But sometimes you just um, – yeah, you need to go through them. Thankfully, there are free options. Um, anyway, I think that's the end of our little streaming rant. Uh, you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R on tonight's show. Um, we did chat about um, the upcoming screening series happening at cinema. Sorry, currently happening. <laughs> No longer upcoming uh, screening series happening at Cinema Nova titled In the Mood for Wong Kar Wai um, with three more screenings to happen and a fantastic event screening on Wednesday the 7th of June, is That's that right? Correct, yeah. With Goran Stalevsky, one of my faves. Um, and we also reviewed Amazon Prime mockumentary uh, TV series Jury Duty, which I think we all we're recommending. Yeah, Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're all kind of hooked on it. Um, ethics aside, I feel like he gets he gets paid at the end. So he does. come on, yes, it's not all. It's yes. all not and he all comes out of it looking very good. Yeah, yeah totally. Oh, he was I, stoked. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, I don't know, I would come across that well. Um, and before, and I did also mention Chiff and Diff. So Chiff is the Children's International Film Festival, which kicked off yesterday. Yesterday, and it's going to be running until the twelfth of June. You can head to chiff.com.au for the full program, and also Diff the debut international film festival and you can head to debutinternationalfilmfestival.com.au for that um christian before we go there's also another exciting screening coming up at nova tell us yeah, about we, it we haven't announced it so this is you heard it here first <laughs> uh, but yeah just coming back to what we were talking about in terms of influences earlier um on friday night i went back and i watched pink narcissus which is this 1971 uh, underground film that's uh, very very queer beautiful film but I hadn't seen it in decades and what was stunning and startling for me when I revisited it was just how influential it's been in the the 50 years since it was made it's it's uh, been referenced by Baz Luhrmann um, by um, 
uh, Pierre and Gilles, the photographers, by David LaChapelle, the um, the photographer and artist, Little Nas X. If you've seen Pink Narcissus, you'll see just how much this movie's influenced a lot of other people. Anyway, the reason why I talk about it is because Peter Strickland has made a short film which has been commissioned by Prototype um, uh, called Blank Narcissus about a filmmaker who has to go back and record a DVD commentary about a movie he made when he was a, char- uh, a teenager or when he was a student. And it's it directly links to Pink Narcissus. So we'll be doing um, screening both films back to back along with a conversation that's been pre-recorded with Strickland uh, which will be at Cinema Nova on this from commencing from the 16th. We'll have a few sessions. We haven't got all the sessions online just yet, but the 16th of June, come along, see Peter Strickland talking about his short Blank Narcissus, followed by a big screen, very rare experience, uh, screening of um, Pink Narcissus from 1971, which is just a, a movie that is a sight to behold. Well, Christian, Christian showed us some of the stills off Oh, I was going to say off air. You can't see them because you're listening to radio. But, I, yeah, I'm very excited about that. That would be great to check out. Uh, Christian and Sylvie, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 